Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So another Christmas has come and gone. You have survived. Um, you, you, you made it here. Congratulations. Uh, happy day after Christmas to you all. Um, the gifts have all been exchanged. The thank yous have all kind of been you know, given back and forth. The wrapping and the ribbons are now in the trash and they'll be picked up tomorrow morning. And Christmas has come to an end. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm going home this afternoon and we're taking down the tree. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Some of you, that's like, oh, how can you possibly, you know, you got to keep it up at least through January. In fact, some of you, I know, you would keep it up year round if it didn't become a fire hazard. You just, you know, that's, that's just your mentality. But the truth of the matter is tomorrow morning, most of us, for the most part, will get up and get back to what we call real life. <laughs> And often you hear during the Christmas season, people say, well, why isn't it like this year-round? Why don't we talk about peace on earth year-round? Why isn't this Christmas spirit, why don't, we, why don't we carry that through beyond this season? And the truth of the matter is that that's really what Christ came to bring. Not just a day that we would celebrate his birth. What he came to give us is life, real life. And this Christmas season, we have been looking at John's gospel and um, some of the key words that John uses to describe the coming of Christ, that John gives us this, this cosmic backstory. It's not the, not the, the nativity um, narrative. It, it's more, this is what God was doing when all that was happening. So we're going to read it one more time this morning. John 1, if you want to follow along, it's the first uh, chapter in John's gospel. John wrote it this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now to the fullness, his fullness We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Some really key words that we've looked at. Word. That God is speaking. Light. That God is revealing himself. 
and that fullness of grace and truth we talked about last week. And it all comes down to this life that Christ has offered to us, the life that we were meant to live, the life in relationship with him. And so this morning as we kind of, before we put all the Christmas boxes away and everything, we're going to take one more look at this and just look at what is this life supposed to look like? So that as one year comes to an end and we kind of begin and move into a new year, how can we more enter into this life? What does that life look like for you and me? Some of these things we've already touched on this season, but we're going to look at them again. Because one of the things that's very key to the whole thing is understanding that the life that Jesus gives us is a life of grace. That it is all centered on his grace. It comes to us as a gift from God. John wrote it this way. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave. It was a gift. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband will, husband's will, but born of God. That this life comes as a gift. And in fact, if you think about it, all of life is a gift. I mean, really. How much say did you have in your birth? <laughs> None. It came to you as a gift. And so it is with this gift of new life. It comes not because of our lineage, not because of our family, not because of our bloodlines or our background. It doesn't come because of effort or achievement or, or self-determination. It comes as a gift. It comes as a gift because none of our best efforts measure up. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He writes about how all religions have certain things in common. And, and all religions have in common that there is this standard of behavior There is a standard of of living that we are to aspire to. All religions talk about that. And all religions admit that we cannot live up to those standards. And so all religions try to find us a way to, to deal with that not living up to those standards. And truthfully, we don't need religion to tell us that we don't live up to standards. We really don't need religion because you and I, we all know, we don't even live up to our own standards. We disappoint ourselves. We know how we ought to be and we are not. Religion tells us that. What's unique to Jesus is this idea of grace. Because we're all geared into this mentality that I have to earn it. I have to deserve it. I have to do something to make up for what I've done wrong. Um, This last weekend, we were um, babysitting our granddaughter. And um, she is on a Dora the Explorer kick right now and uh, so we had you know we had our dvr we were recording every dora episode our 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 dvr is now caught in the loop of dora's christmas tale it just it won't stop recording it i can't get it to stop recording it it's been possessed or something i don't know but in dora's christmas tale um there's another character in dora the explorer um his name is swiper he's a fox and he's always stealing stuff. And in Dora's Christmas Tale, Santa comes and he's got the naughty and nice list. But Swiper is on the naughty list because he's been swiping. In fact, he's not just swiping now. Not that he just swiped the, the star off the top of the tree. He has been swiping all of his life. And so the big dilemma is, how is Swiper going to get off the naughty list and onto the nice list? And Santa has this magic cape for him that he can go back into history. So Dora and Swiper go back into history when he was just a little baby and swiping baby toys from the other babies. 
And, and, and the, the children watching the program, you're supposed to say, swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. You've got to say it three times or it doesn't work. And Swiper learns his lesson. Instead of swiping the baby toys from the babies, little Swiper gives the toys back. And then they go up to the future because he's going to swipe in the future. So he's got to go time travel to the future and see himself in the future. And he's still swiping. And so they got to go, Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. Swipe. He's got to be three times. Swiper, no swiping. And he learns to give the things that he's been swiping back to the children that are grown up now. And then he comes back to the present and because he's gone and undone the bad that he did when he was younger and he's he's already undone the bad that he's going to do in the future. Now he's not on the naughty list. Now he's on the nice list. And Christmas is saved and Swiper gets a present. (laughs) And everybody cheers. We did it. We did it. If you don't know Dora, you got to watch this because I'm like, it's in my brain. I can't get it out. I'm stuck like a DPR is. But wouldn't it be nice if we could have that magic cape and go back and undo the wrongs that we've done? Wouldn't it it be even better to be able to take that magic cape and go into the future and never do those things again? But we can't. That's why we need grace. That's why this whole life that we have in Christ is all based on grace. It is born of God. It is something supernatural. John 3, 6, Jesus said, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. That it's, it's something supernatural, something only God can do. Because you can't undo your bad. You can't keep yourself from doing bad in the future. It is all the work of God's grace. That's why it's so dependent. That's why we're so dependent on it. And the problem is we have so ingrained in us this this performance mentality. And that's not new to us. The first century church had trouble grasping this concept of grace. In fact, many of the letters that Paul wrote to churches were to explain, you know, it's not by works anymore. It's not by the law anymore. It's not performance anymore. It is all grace. In fact, he wrote to the Galatian church these words. He says, you foolish Galatians, you've received the spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And that has been our problem for the last 2000 years. We can't get our brains wrapped around this idea of grace. And even in the church, when we teach about grace, actually accepting it and living in it is so difficult because there's this performance mentality. And I can remember, if you're like me, I grew up in church, okay? I grew up in Sunday school, and we learned about Jesus, and we learned about that it's not by works, and we learned how we needed to trust Jesus to forgive our sins. We learned all about grace, but to get the award, you had to have perfect attendance, To get the present, you needed to know the memory verse. To get the star on the chart, you had to bring your Bible. And so even as a kid, we're being taught about grace, but we're being taught subliminally, it's still effort. It's perfect attendance. It's knowing your memory verse. It's bringing your Bible. It's inviting a friend. It's doing all these other things. It is so ingrained in our mentality. How do we get our brains wrapped around this idea of grace? Somehow, don't I have to hold up my end of the bargain? And you know this. It's still, it's, let me ask you this. When it comes to times of prayer, 
When you more confident in your prayer life, when you are doing well, when you are regularly attending services, when your tithe is all caught up, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're just doing good for everyone, when you're, you're having your quiet time, your prayers come confidently. But when you haven't been so good and you kind of messed up and you come before God in prayer, it's a whole different feeling, isn't it? Or am I the only one? It says, no, it's all grace from beginning to end. The Spirit gives life. Flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus said, they are spirit and life. It's all grace. And because it comes to us by grace, then the second part of this is, then it is really a life of trust. It is putting my trust fully in Christ. John 1, 4 says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That grace is found in a person. It's relational. The thing that God wants most from you is simply you. And that's why when he came, he came and gave his greatest gift, he gave himself. See, the problem with all of that Sunday school stuff was it was all information. And Scripture isn't meant to just inform us about God. Scripture is intended to introduce us to God. Jesus himself said this to to teachers of the law who knew Scriptures well. He said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them that you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says, you're doing well in your Bible studies. You're doing well in knowing knowing the Torah and and even teaching the Torah. And, and, And you think that in knowing all of that stuff, there's life. But those things are to point to me. And the life is in me. And you refuse to come to me. And we can very easily get wrapped up in knowing about God and studying the scriptures. But for all the wrong reasons. They're meant to lead us to God. We have some friends who are going to get married this summer. And they met online. And this online dating thing is very fascinating to me. Because you can go online, you know, and they fill out this questionnaire. And you know all of their interests and all of their likes and their dislikes and all these things. You know, and you think, oh, this is somebody I might be interested in. And I've, I've, ta- I've never done this. Okay. But I've talked to single people who have. <laughs> and you think, oh, this might be a good fit. And then you meet the person and you go, Whoa. No, I don't think so, you know, and never see them again. Because you can know all about a person, but actually meeting them is something completely different. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. Jesus said it's all about knowing. It's relational, relational, and it's built on trust. And I know that Scripture comes alive in real life. All those memory verses that I had growing up, I have learned to rely on those things because now they're not just memory verses anymore. All of my Bible studies, I've learned to come to rely on because they're not just words on paper anymore. And I've gone through dark times. And I remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
now it's not now it's not just a memory verse now it's my life and that's what Jesus is talking about events of life are always a mixture ups and downs highs and lows and sometimes in the lows it's hard to hear God it's hard to see God as events of life kind of unfold what you thought was going to be easy becomes hard and even sometimes the things that God asks of you become hard but if you think about the Christmas story discovering that you're going to be pregnant before you even got married was not easy finding out that your fiance has become pregnant and you know you're not the father that's no walk in the park another round of taxes when you're struggling to make ends meet not easy a long journey in the third trimester of pregnancy that's not comfortable giving birth in a stable it's not convenient and yet God asked of them Mary and Joseph to do the hard thing and out of the hard thing came something great and maybe you're in a dark time and you're wondering God where are you His words are, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Trust me. Trust me. It seems dark, but you're not in the darkness. I'm with you. Never doubt in the darkness what God has already shown you in the light. It's a relationship of trust. And it is a life of grace and trust and of love. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What is abundance of life? What does that look like? It's not in the abundance of stuff. We know that because it it seems no matter how much stuff we get, we don't feel abundant. We always want more. Abundance of life is something more than than the stuff. It's the people. Abundance of life is love. And that's the only reasonable result of this life of grace and trust. Because grace and trust manifest themselves in love. And the source of that love and that new life is God himself. Jesus, most famous passage in all the Bible probably. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And a lot of times we read that God loved the world so much. Like God got all this love together and kind of mustered up his love. And then he did something. But the word so isn't like so much. It's the word so that is used like thusly. Thus and so. In other words, this is how God loved the world. That he gave. His one and only son. That love is not a feeling. It's not something that you muster up. Love is in giving. And sometimes God, act, God asks of us things that, that, that we don't think are easy to give. Give forgiveness. Give restoration, reconciliation. Give generously to those in need. Give yourself to me. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. Now, this is not a new command. It's really not. This this command is all the way through the Old Testament. But here's the thing. That's a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. 
By this, everyone know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The new part about it is, as I have loved you, the undeserving, the unlovable, the one who is not worthy of my forgiveness, yet I love you and forgive you anyway. That's the new part of the command. It's about a life of giving, a life of compassion, a life of acceptance, a life of forgiveness, a life of generosity. That's love. And in the same way that you have received that, he says, now give that. In fact, that is the distinguishing mark of my followers, that you love one another. This is how the world will know you're my followers, that you love one another. This giving of forgiveness, this giving of love, this giving generously, this giving of compassion and caring, all of these things, that's how the world will know you're my followers. Now, I want to help you kind of memorize it. And I, I saw this... And it really helped for me to illustrate this whole thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of divide the church in half. Okay? So right down the middle. And this half, here's what I want you to do. Because I want you to kind of get a a visual picture of this. What I'd like you to do is just take your hands and and hold them like this. Kind of palms up, but open. Like this. Okay? That is the gesture of giving. Okay? That is the posture of giving. Got it? Okay, now hold on to that right now. Because this half... Here's what I want you to do. This is the posture of grasping, okay? Bring the hands together, put them, make, you know, make this. I'm holding on. I'm not giving up. No, I've got no. Now, see, on this side, the posture of giving is, Lord, whatever you want from me, it's yours. Whatever, whatever you ask of me, I'm yours. Whatever you're asking me to do that might be hard for me, I will do it. See this posture? Now, over on this side, wait, don't, don't, don't stop, okay? This is, God, whatever you want from me, you can't have it. I'm holding on to this. I'm not letting go. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not. Now, positionally, this open hand, not only is the end of letting go, but it's also an open hand to receive. To receive. And what we receive, we extend. And, and that's the posture. In fact, relationally, just at the people next to you. Because your hands are open, okay? You, you, can, you can reach over and maybe, you know, pat them on the shoulder or, or put your arm around them. Because relationally, you're able to do that now. And, and you might be sitting next to somebody who's really, really cute that you don't know. But now you can just put your... <laughs> don't do that. Okay? Now, we're on this side. See, you're still holding on to stuff. And, and relationally, this is what the position it puts you in with God. It's shaking my fists. Shaking my fists at God. And relationally to other people, it's like you could just turn around and smash them in the face, you know? Okay, you can put your hands up. You get the idea? This life of love, of giving, receiving and giving, receiving and giving. It changes my posture with God. It changes my posture relationally with other people. And this holding on to and clutching and looking out for number one, it puts me relationally as an adversary to God and adversarial to other people. And stand up for my rights. You can't have what I got. You owe me. I'm taking it anyway. He says this life, this new life comes to you 
as an act of God's grace freely. Freely you've received it. And you got to trust me. you got to trust me that if you let go, that my arms are bigger and they can catch you. you got to trust me that when you surrender something up to me, that I'm a good and generous God and whatever you give up will only result in more for you. In fact, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get more stuff. It's talking about that richness and abundance of living. That there is a better way to live. Jesus is saying there are two ways to live. There is the giving, loving way of living. And there's the clutching on to adversarial way of living. And you can go through life making that choice whichever way you want to live. But he says the blessed way to live is with open hands. And you know that because when you've done that, it really changes your life. Picked up an article, Chronicle, uh, Christmas Eve Chronicle. Uh, head, the headline of the, chroni- of the uh, article is, Giving is repaid on many levels, research shows. Uh, a guy named Rod Will- Rob Willard, a UC Berkeley sociologist, he writes about this. He says, Volunteering time and giving money to charity tends to make people happier than spending money on themselves. It makes sense to be generous, even from a self-interest perspective. If you're generous, you receive more respect. You have more influence with people, and and people cooperate with you more. He says, I find that behavioral tendency is for people to behave more generously after people have treated them well. In fact, he goes on, he says, it follows a pattern. It actually becomes contagious. If you receive a gift from somebody else in the world, then you become more likely to give to somebody else in return. He says, in fact, holiday giving among families and secret Santa types of exchanges at offices create a similar sense of goodwill and solidarity. And there have been many studies on this, that people who are generous, people who are giving, people who are loving, tend to live happier, more satisfied lives, and tend to live longer. That's what he means. He says, it's more blessed to live that way. And I think it's something that we as a church are learning. This last Christmas with our Adopt-A-Family tree, record number of families that we helped, 16 families in our community. That's more than we've ever done before. And and what was really cool was we had some last-minute families join in. And so last Sunday, we had like 45 new ornaments on the tree. And a lot of you, everybody took those and did a bunch of last-minute shopping. When you thought it was all done, you had to go back out one more time. And every family that we helped and every ornament on that tree that had a gift was distributed on Christmas Eve morning. And then some. It's more blessed to give than receive. Because you've received this life by grace and you put your trust in Him that He has a better life for you and then you extend it to others. And that is the life that Christ brought to us. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.